Good morning. How are you guys doing? You all good? All right. Well, this is our first week of Advent, and Advent is just a season for us to prepare and to prepare for Christmas and the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. So our theme this year for Advent is Hello Jesus. It's an invitation for us. Hello Jesus is an invitation for you to come to get to know him through this Advent season and it's to invite us into hope, love, peace, and joy, which is so polarizing to the culture that we live in right now. The culture that we live in is riddled with fear, anxiety, shame, discouragement, cynicism, and despair. But in Jesus, we have the answers, the tools, and the person in which we are able to not only receive, but also to give out hope, love, peace, and joy. So today we're going to start by looking at Hello Hope. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Hello Love, Hello Peace, Hello Joy. And finally, on Christmas Day, this year it actually lands on a Sunday too. We get to celebrate on Christmas the arrival of Jesus with Hello Jesus. But before we get into it, let's pray. Father God, we come before you as a church in worship of who you are. And the gift that you have given us through your son Jesus, remind us of the things that you have done and the promises that you have set before us. We give you this time. We ask for your spirit to come and speak life and hope into the world and into our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Let me start off with a question. This is not a hard question, but it's a question for the church. What is the most repeated command in the Bible? What is it? Love your neighbor, fear not. What else? There is a wrong answer, but I'm going to take all all the wrong answers too. (laughs) Well, the most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid or fear not. This command is given to us over and over again. In fact, it's about 365 times. God tells us, do not be afraid or do not fear. That's one for every day of the week, of the year. This is a command that should get your attention. What this tells us is that God must know something about the human condition and that he must know something about the broken world that we live in. If we were to do an exercise today and I asked you to help me make a list of fears in this church, what would they be? What are some of your fears that you may have? Anybody? I'll start off. I have the fear of rodents. Hate them, disgusting, don't ever want to be near them. Squirrels are included in that category. (laughs) What else are you guys afraid of? Spiders. Spiders. What else? Stranger attacks. Stranger attacks? Okay. I'm sure it is. I'm just coming from such a big guy like you. I didn't think that was a thing. (laughs) What else is there? What other fears? (laughs) Snakes. Anything else? 
Heights, public speaking. What is it? Children? <laughs> oh, durian. I thought you said children. I was like, wow. Sure, it could be a fear. Sometimes I'm afraid of my children when, she's, when they're yelling at me. I'm afraid of them too. Well, I just want to play a video right here. Uh, it's a young man talking about fears. of actually never achieving things when I grow up, to be honest. Really? Yes. Where, where do you think it comes from? I don't know. Deep down, you just think, oh, I don't got it. Like, I don't have grip of what I'm doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't feel along your fears. Do you think adults have different fears than kids? I don't know. Maybe the fear of getting old or taxes. <laughs> adults, you need to face your fears in order to get through in life. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure to achieve? Depending on the job you have. If it's like singing or something, that's my passion. I also want to be an engineer too. Hey, congratulations. To be brave, it just means conquering your fears. I have what's called aquaphobia, I think. That's fear of water. Really? So so Lily, right after this interview, I'm going swimming. You're facing your fear? I'm trying to. I feel like it's important to face your fears because then you'll be able to do it freely without having any worry. Whatever you're afraid of, just do it. Yeah. Unless you're like afraid of something that maybe you should be afraid of, like hanging out with lions. Or piranhas. I think you'd end up dying doing that. Yeah. find that he's very mature for his age. As we listed some of our fears today here, from fear of rodents, fear of blood, claustrophobia, those are all my fears, by the way. Heights, dark. Some of our fears could be even deeper, like fear of loneliness, fear of getting old, fear of not having kids or raising our kids in a world that we live in. Fear of not being loved or fear of, of finances not coming together. Fear of losing our freedom or fear of not being accepted. All of these fears are, are, are very real to us. At the same time, not all fear is bad because fear also helps us protect our kids. Fear also prevents us from putting ourselves in danger. However, when fear becomes a central motivation of our lives, it is isolating it is paralyzing, and eventually we are consumed by us, leaving us living a life being afraid. Psychologist Dr. Idris Muhammad, in an article he wrote on the hope, on hope and fear as the two faces of the same primal emotion separated by perspective, he says this. He says, fear is a very expensive emotion to fear, to feel. Fear takes a lot of resources and causes massive hormonal and chemical changes in the body. Fear is meant to motivate quickly and in the short term. Fear is a sprint. Fear drains resources rapidly. Hope, on the other hand, is a marathon. Hope is designed to be energizing, exciting, and for the long haul. I do want to say this today as we talk about this, is that whatever fears that you have today that God still sees you, that he also sees your fears and he cares deeply for you today. So if you're here today and you're not, and, and you're feeling that I have my fears, 
I want you to know that you're not overlooked and that God has and wants to give you the resource today to overcome these fears. He wants to invite you into hope today because we need a hope that is stronger than those fears. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke 12. We're going to be looking uh, through this passage here. Luke 12 has many, many sections which talk about really the person of who Jesus is and who God is and how we are to relate to that. But Luke 12 has two sections, one from verse 4 and the other from verse 22, that really tackles this aspect of fear. And Jesus is teaching us how not to worry and not to be anxious. That Jesus says, even, I, I even know the, the hairs on your, how many hairs you have on your head, that even the ravens, I take care of them. How much more value are you than the birds? That God knows all things and, and all your needs. And Jesus tells us, instead of seeking for hope in places of the world, to seek the kingdom of God and, that, and all that you need will be added unto you. And then in chapter 12, verse 32, this is where we're going to rest today. It says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There's so many passages on hope, and there's so many places in the Bible that talk about hope. And it was hard for me to kind of figure out, okay, where do I want to rest? And although this verse may not have the word hope in it, these words hold all the ingredients of hope. And so we're going to look into this verse. How does it start? Jesus says, what? Do not be afraid. And then he gives us the answer why. First ingredient, it says, little flock. Well, that's a strange term to kind of refer to people, right? Little flock. But oftentimes throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is referring to the church as his sheep and himself as the great shepherd. The famous verse of Psalms 23 talks about how he leads us to still waters and green pastures and he restores our souls. The idea of us being his sheep, flock of sheep means that he is the great shepherd. A shepherd that tends to the needs of the sheep. A shepherd that keeps them safe and away from danger. A shepherd that leads and guides. A shepherd that loves and protects. First ingredient is knowing that we have a, a God that loves us, a God that takes care of us, a God that sees our needs and knows what we need, right? The second ingredient here is that he's saying that he is your father. I know a lot of us don't have a great picture of what a father is. However, God says that I am your father that loves you and cares about you. I am the one that does not abandon you. I am the father that will look after you, that you are mine and I am yours. And that God, we just, we just sang a, a song today called The Good, Good Father. And I know it's hard. Some of us, we project our, our earthly father to, to our heavenly father. And sometimes we're just like, well, how good is a father anyways? 
And I know that there, that is an obstacle for some of us in, these, in this room where we have to overcome that idea of what is a father? What does a good father look like? I want you to go to that place of, of reading God's promises for you and, and, and knowing that God wants to be a good father to you. He wants to redefine and recapture this aspect of fatherhood for your life. The third ingredient is that God is pleased. It says the Father is pleased with you. What does that mean to us? That the Father is pleased with you. It means that God delights in who you are. That when he looks at you, that he is pleased with you, not because of what you've done, but because it is he who created you. God is pleased with you because you were intentionally created by him. It doesn't require you to do anything to gain his pleasure. Every other religion out there will tell you that you need to earn your way into heaven. But God does not require you to do anything because God says, I am going to do the work. I am going to give you everything that you need. I am going to cover you, all of your imperfections, with my perfection. That's what God promises us. That God is pleased with you. And if that's the only thing that you need to hear today, I hope that this is the only, this is a message that you take home. Okay? That you don't need to earn God's love, that you don't need to earn God's favor, and that God is pleased with you you just the way you are in the exact place that you are right now God delights in who you are he delights in you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you and the fourth ingredient here is the kingdom his God's gift to you is the kingdom. And that may sound kind of obscure and weird. What, it, what does it mean that, that God's giving us the kingdom? It means that you get to take in all that he has created and all that he has. That the gift of the kingdom is a life of eternity. That there is so much more to life than what we know here on earth. But at the same time, we could live in that place of eternity now with him. We talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, that's what Jesus, uh, that's what Jesus, uh, not Jesus, John the Baptist proclaimed. And when Jesus came on earth, he says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're in a place of perfection, but we have access. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about, is that we have access to his kingdom. We have access to his gifts. We have access to who he is. We have access to, to God of the universe, the sovereign God that created this universe. All of that is yours. That's what the kingdom is. God says that, that my, my people will inherit the earth, right? What does that mean? What does that look like? It feels a little obscure, but the reality is that God... When in his creation and in the perfection of how he created the world before sin came into it, God gave this world to mankind to take care of, right? Because of sin, now we live in this broken world where not a lot of things make sense anymore. 
But God still says that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is going to be yours. And when I come back again, second coming of Christ, we've talked about this through our last series, I'm going to tear that veil back and you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be with me. You're going to be living in eternity. And that's what God promises. And so these four ingredients that we find in, in this short verse here, gives us a picture of where do we put our hope, okay? We talked about how, how fear and hope are kind of the same emotion, right? It's the same emotion with a very different perspective. This promise of hope for us is a reminder of who we are and who God is and how God sees you and what he wants to give you. This is an invitation of a life with him. The arrival of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God. It is what was wrong made right. It is a place in which heaven invades earth and that once, what was once separated is now united. Here's the thing. We can have a hope in a lot of things or even hope in a lot of people. However, the object of our hope determines the value of our hope, okay? So what is the object that we have? What does this actually mean? It means that our hope is only as strong as what we put our hope in. So if we place our hope in things or people, our hopes will always be limited to that thing or that person. What these verses are is reminding us is that we have a shepherd and a father that loves us, and his pleasure is to give you all that he has. This is the sovereign God of the universe giving you the promise of himself. And so if the object of your hope is in God, in a God that loves you so deeply, in a God that has low, no limits, what do you fear? Let me remind you of two things about the person that we have hope in. The first thing is that God is full of power. That God is the creator of the universe. That God is the one that spoke light into darkness. He is the one that created the heavens and the earth. He is the one that split the land from the sea. He is the one that is sovereign over all things. He is the one that could heal the sick. He's the one that could let the blind see. He's the one that is able to cast out demons. He is the one that is able to take away your anxieties. God is the one that is able to do all these things. So first and foremost, the, the person that we have, the person that we can place our hope in is all powerful. The second thing is that he is full of love. That God loves you, that his, his entire being of who he is and the way that he created the heavens and the earth and the universe, he created that out of love. That you exist because of his love for you, that you are here because he intended you to be here because he loves you so much. That even in this broken world, even in the place of sin, that God says, I have an answer for that and that is in my son, Jesus Christ. That I have sent him to come on this earth to live a perfect life so that his perfection could come upon you. That's what we call his righteousness. And when that comes upon you, that God now sees you as perfect. 
that all sins are forgiven from past, present, and future. And God says, you are mine. That's the greatness of his love that he would sacrifice his own son for you. Don't forget this. We need to know who our God is. We need to know who Jesus, what, what the, the, the character and the person of God so that we know that when he sent his son Jesus, what that actually meant. As we look towards this Christmas season, as we look towards the coming of Jesus, in the arrival of Jesus, that we need to understand that first and foremost, this is our God. So we, we talked about fear and hope polarizing yet same primal emotion because fear and hope both operate off of what? Predictions. Fear predicts a future full of threats to the things that we love and hope predicts a future full of promises and the presence of the God that we love. Both are predictions, but both have very different outcomes. So if fear and hope are part of the same emotion, it means that when we are faced with this emotion, we either go towards fear or we go towards hope. And the question is more so, which side of that emotion are we feeding? What are we feeding? We are constantly being fed with something. We have what we call Instagram feeds, Facebook feeds, Twitter feeds, news feeds, We're always feeding ourselves with some kind of information and knowledge in which sometimes makes us feel anxious and our fears begin to form. I'm not saying all these things are evil. But remember, I said that our hope is only as strong as what we put our hope in. In this broken world that we live in, when we live off of what the world tells us and informs us, our life begins to look pretty hopeless. We don't need to try very hard to feed ourselves with, bro- with the brokenness of the world because we live in it and we're surrounded by it. But what God said in his promise of the kingdom is that hope that comes, is, is a hope that comes with it. We need to feed ourselves with the hope and the promises of God. God is the only one that can produce lasting hope in your life. So how do we do this? We need to listen to our fears and confront them with specific promises. So, have a couple examples here. If you have the fear of loneliness, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, never will I leave you or forsake you. If you have a fear of not being able to do something or that you don't have the strength to do it or if you don't feel like you're able to to step into a new season, Isaiah 41 says, I will strengthen you and I will help you. This is us remembering the promises of God and delighting in it and receiving these promises with thankfulness. We need to put our faith in the promise of God and oftentimes we know these truths but we don't rest in them because we don't allow these truths to become our hope, because we don't remind ourselves of these truths often enough. Scripture is full of promises of hope. And the more we remind ourselves of these promises of hope, 
and the promises of God, the more hope that is produced in our life. Right? The more that we remind ourselves of the promises of God. I know a lot of us who grew up in the church know a lot of these verses by heart, right? But how often and how quickly do we draw these out when we're feeling anxious and when we're feeling our fears? How often do we remind ourselves of these promises? It's not just an aspect of knowing it, but it's putting our trust and our faith in it, knowing that God promises is true, that we could, it's reliable. That it's not just about reciting these verses, but it's knowing and, and coming into that place of this saturating the core of who we are. Right? It's coming to a place of claiming these as truth so that when we get into this emotion that we don't move into fear, but we move into hope. That we remind ourselves that God has something that is so much bigger than what I understand right now. That yes, my feelings suck right now. I acknowledge that. I want you guys to be able to say, yeah, this sucks. You know what? Life sucks right now. But in that place, remind yourself of the goodness of God. In that place, remind yourself of the promise of God. In that place, go into scripture and study and read and continuously remind yourself and saturate yourselves in in God's word. Why do we need to do this? Why is it that every single time I come up here, I tell you as a church to soak yourself in, in, in the word of God? Why do I do that? Because that is the only place where you're going to understand the character of God. That is the only place that God has his promises written out for you. That is the only place where you're, you're going to understand and, and have the tools to navigate this world that we live in. If you don't know who God is for you, you cannot live out this Christian life that God has called you to live out. Because if you don't know the God of the universe that is calling you to do some of the most difficult things that you have to do in life, you're not going to be able to tackle those things by yourself. That's why time and time again we tell you, saturate yourself. Get in the word. Read the word. Remind yourself of the promises. Because church, you're going to need it. You're going to need it when the time comes, when those tough times come. The only thing that could give you hope is God himself. And the only way for you to be able to draw from that is to remind yourself of the things that God speaks over your life. Scripture is told to us by stories so that we can remember. Right? I was talking to Pastor Andrew and I was just like, in, in seminary when I first started studying, I was just like, I'm going to be the worst pastor ever because I cannot, for the life of me, remember scripture or remember any of these things. I remember going through Old Testament and New Testament surveys, worst courses ever to take in seminary. Don't take them. I'm kidding. But being so overwhelmed by scripture, you guys get that feeling? That when you read scripture, it just becomes so overwhelming. But one of the things that scripture does is it's, it's unique in the way that scripture is written to us in story so that we could remember. Right? 
Because we're going to remember a story more than we could remember just a philosophy or a, a good thought. We remember stories because stories impact our lives. We could relate to these stories. They're relatable. That's why the Bible is told to you in stories. That's why there's living examples of people that are written in that place. Because those stories give us hope. Those stories remind us of the goodness of God. Those stories remind us that God is good. It reminds us of who he is. It reminds us of his sovereignty. It reminds us of his judgment. It reminds us of all of those things. But at the end of the day, it reminds us of his love for you. That all of those things that are told to us in the Bible comes out of that place of love first. Yes, there's obscure stories, and you're just like, well, people die. There's judgment. Yes, but you have to also read the whole story of where those judgments come from. Because the, at the end of the day, the God that we love, the God that we worship, the God that we celebrate is a just God. And so there is judgment that comes with it. When we remember the promise of God and we delight in it, we are able to receive it with thankfulness. We need to put our faith in the promise of God. Do we believe that God is able to take us out of fear? Do you believe that God has a supernatural power to do that, to work through our spirit and give us hope to overflow, not only for yourself, but for all those that are around for you, all those that are around you, and for them to be able to witness you go through this? I want you to ask yourselves two questions today. What am I afraid of right now? And how do the presence and promise of Jesus give me hope? What am I afraid of right now? And how do the presence and promise of Jesus give me hope? You see, God's kingdom is full of the resources and power for you to overcome fear. And God is pleased to give it all to you. What God has given you through his son Jesus is the ultimate act of love. It is only through the person of Jesus, the perfect life that he's lived, the presence of him on earth, and his death on the cross that could reconcile us of our fears, our failures, and sins. This is our hope, and Jesus invites you into a life filled with hope for the future. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you We thank you for the hope that you have given us through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the invitation of us stepping into a life of hope. Lord, that we could rest in the person of God and in the person of Jesus, knowing that this is the life that you want for us. So, Father God, as we come before you, and as we count down towards Christmas, and as we look at hope, love, joy, and peace. Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us of these gifts. Remind us that it is through your son Jesus that you are able to bring these gifts onto earth. 
So, Father God, we pray that we are constantly being reminded of the goodness of who you are. And may we be able to rest in that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hope and fear, you know, two, two opposite sides. And I loved how John put it where, you know, fears are us predicting the unknown. We don't always know those things are going to happen, but that's our fear. And, you know, one of the things the Lord kind of pointed out to me is that, you know, why don't we like meeting new people? Why don't we like public speaking? It's because we fear making a mistake. There's no guarantee we're going to do it. There's no guarantee we're going to stumble over our words, but that's what we fear. And we fear that they're going to think less of us. But we don't fear that with people that we know. We don't fear that with people that we have a strong relationship with. And why is that? It's because they know us. So when we make a mistake, it's not a big deal. And I feel like what the Lord's saying is, but I know you. I know everything about you. I know the hairs on your head. I know the lint in your toes. So don't fear the mistake. Don't fear that he's going to turn away or he's going to think less of you because he knows exactly who you are. So that's why we have such hope in him. You know, a lot of times when we talk about hope, it's, it's misplaced hope. Your hope will never be misplaced in him. And, you know, when we look at the word, he combats our fears by addressing exactly the things that he knows we're going to go through. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. I will love you. I will take care of you. He addresses all the things that we fear and he gives us promises of assurance. It's not even, it's not even really calling it hope. It, it's just embracing that which he has promised and we know he will never fail in. And that is why it's so important that we look to his word. We look to his promises, that we memorize those things. Why do you know that your mom loves you unconditionally? Because she told you a thousand times as a kid. Right? She yelled at you. She got mad. You did something wrong. After she calms down, what's the first thing she says? I still love you. Right? And this is why we have to know those promises. You know, what the Lord showed me is it's like a little kid learning the ABCs. You know, what's the first thing we do? They know the song. They don't know what the words mean. They don't know what the sounds mean. They can't identify those symbols, but they can sing the song. And then we start to break it down. And then we start to break it down. And then we start to combine the letters into sounds. Then we combine them into words and sentences and paragraphs and, um, you know, on, on and onward. And that's what the Lord does with us. He doesn't expect you to read the word and, and know every detail about it or to have it memorized the first time you read it. He wants you just to feel that moment that he's there in those words. Then the next time he's going to put a bit more on you. And the next time it's a bit more on you. And then it gets to the point where you go, okay, I do know John 3.16, right? And then it goes to the point where 
oh, you know, I can't remember where the verse is, but it says something like this. Or, you know, that reminds me of this story in the Bible. And that is our process. And that is why we just continue to dive into the word so that we just continue to know more and more depth. And he will continue. If you look, he will show you more and more. So when you go to him, when you say, Lord, I'm in this fear right now, I fear my job. I fear inflation. I fear what my mortgage payments are going to be. I fear I'm going backwards. Go take it to him because he is going to speak into that. It might be one verse. It might be six verses, but he is going to speak into that place because he gives us promises of do not fear. I love you and I will be with you. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for just such a, a powerful word to start our Advent, Lord. The anticipation of the arrival of you coming to earth as babe. Lord, we just thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, when the world looks bleak, you are the shining light that we look to. You are the, the God that has never lied. You've never failed. You've never lost a battle. And so, Lord, we just, um, just come before you this morning. We set our hearts upon you. Lord, we just thank you that when we're quiet, you speak to us. And so, Lord, we just um, take these words to heart. Lord, our fears are like sprints. They overcome us. They, they escalate so quickly. Lord, be that calming presence. Be the peace that comforts us. Lead us beside the still waters. Lord, these are all the words that you promised over us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you remind us of these, that you just constantly bring them to our hearts when we are going the wrong direction. And, Lord, we just thank you for everything you are. Amen.